We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. Today's episode of the Bronx Pinstripe Show is brought to you by the Bronx Brewery's Bronx Banner Ale. Golden Easy Ale is our go-to beer before, during, and after Yankee games. It's available in the stadium in over six sections, a number of the bars near the stadium, and on tap in their South Bronx tasting room, which is only a quick walk from the Cypress Ave 6 train. Did I mention they're also the sponsor of the pregame at Billy's for our June 10th event? Go check them out, Bronx Banner Ale from the Bronx Brewery. Let's get into the show. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your host, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 135. Scott, welcome back from your brief hiatus. Thank you very much. It's good to be back. I uh, appreciate Rich. Thanks, Rich, for filling in for me on last episode. I, uh, I had to be at my grandfather's. My grandfather had passed away, and we, my brother and I figured it would be a good tribute to him, who since he had taken us to Yankee games when we were kids, and he and my cousin Dave had kind of introduced us to the Yankees. 
to go to the Sunday game and, uh, and and drink a beer for him and, and watch as much of the game as we could. So it was uh, it was a, a good weekend of, of celebrating a life, but obviously um, I am happy to be back. So yeah, definitely uh, definitely good. First first game of the season for you, first regular season game, first time at the stadium. What did you think of all the new updates, the facelift that Yankee Stadium got? You know, I was I was. Very impressed, actually. Much like I was when we went to the the George or the Boss down in uh, Tampa. Stein, yeah, the big Stein. Um, they did. I think they did similar things in the sense that they created a lot more areas for people to congregate and hang out and create more of a you know a social atmosphere. It seems like they were. I don't know if they had the same meetings on the same days or consecutive days or what, because to me they're they're very similar renovations. Not. Not the actual physical renovation, but in concept, I think they're very similar. And, you know, that, that center field area, uh, the master pass, batter's eye, whatever the hell they call it, is they moved it out and just, I mean, they, they made some more areas for you to stand around there. Whereas before, it was hard to see anything because it was very packed. Now they've, you know, created a couple little angles and like there's a lot more surface area for you to stand against the fence. So I was, did, I was impressed. Did they get rid of that concrete feeling? Dude, you know what I'm talking about out in the bleachers of where the center field restaurant was or still is? It just felt like you were surrounded by concrete out there. Yeah, there's more stuff now. I mean, the the bar, well, the bar's in the same place, but the, uh, I don't know, the way that they jutted things out so that you're closer to the field, not by much, but a little bit, it it just feels like it's a, it's more open. It, it really does. And then the fact that, you know, they have those two, uh, those two spots where they took out the two bleacher sections on either side of the Mohegan Sun uh, restaurant. So... You know, there's just a lot more areas to congregate, which is to me cool. I didn't see the kids' playground and all that other crap, but uh, I, I did. I was in the bleachers. I sat in the left field bleachers on Sunday, and um, yeah, I thought there were a lot of people just hanging out too, which was cool. Like the the bleachers were packed. Yeah, it looks like every game the bleachers and that those party areas you're talking about were packed. The rest of the stadium doesn't look packed. Monday's game against the Blue Jays had the lowest attendance in New Yankee Stadium history. Did you see that? Like 25,500 people uh, in attendance on Monday night. And then Tuesday was was empty as well. And I saw, I tweeted out a picture saying, where the hell is everybody? Like, this is the most exciting team we've had in years. I said this is, on the last episode, I said this is my favorite team to watch since 07. And no one's in the freaking stadium. And people are like, oh, there's a Rangers game in Madison Square Garden tonight. All right, so so there's there's five thousand people in the stadium for first pitch. What's going on? Yeah, I mean the fact that it was a Monday night, and well, the Monday night was was definitely a, a small crowd. The the I think that the Rangers. I don't know. I think Mondays are just bad days. In the first <laughs> everyone, <laughs> Mondays Screw terrible. Got to kiss Mondays the are days. tough for everyone. Mondays are tough for everyone. Nobody wants to do anything. So, um, you know, I'm not gonna. Look, I think if the I think if the attendance is still low later in the season as this, as the weather gets warmer, and you know if the team progresses and or stays along this trend, then then you have a problem. But um, I, you know I'm not really concerned about it right now. Well, it's not going to be an empty stadium on June 10th. It's going to be packed, and we are excited. June 10th, we're throwing a party at Billy's before the game against the Orioles. We're selling tickets for 64 bucks. You get your game ticket. You get your a T-shirt. Designed by Scott, you get uh, a two-hour pregame party at Billy's supplied with beer from Bronx Brewery. It's an awesome deal, and we cannot wait for it. I'm super excited, and it, it's right around the corner. 
Yeah, and I can tell you right now, I the last time I was talking about this, we I, I don't even remember what number we were at, but we are we are damn near, if not near, because we had a bunch of orders come in tonight, uh, 200 sold. And the Yankees have allotted us 250 tickets. So that if you're good if you're good at math or if you're not good at math, I'll tell you what the math is. That means there's about 50 tickets left for this June 10th event. So if you are planning on coming, if you're thinking about coming, if you have been thinking about coming, get your tickets because you know, I don't think that we're going to be able to get more than 250. If we if we are, I won't know it until we hit 250. So um, there's a very good chance we we stop right there. That was how many we were allotted at the top. So go get your tickets, man, because they're they're going fast and uh, it's going to be a fun fun group. We're in 205 and 206, which is right in right field, right behind Aaron Judge. We better be the loudest damn people in that stadium. Oh, there's no doubt about it. I, I really have zero doubt that we will not be significantly loud and and consistently loud. This is gonna be a this is gonna be a ruckus group. So you uh, you missed one you missed one episode, and that was sort of the the April wrap up. And that that month saw the Yankees leading in home runs, RBIs, runs, on base percentage, slugging percentage. Second in batting average, second in walks, third in stolen bases. Their offense is, it has just been phenomenal. We thought it was going to be better just from the way they were playing in spring training, but it's exceeded all expectations. And it's done, they're now sole possession of first place in the AL East. And it's even being noticed in Vegas because their current odds to win the World Series are now 16-1. to 1. They opened the season at 25-1. to 1. So just a month of baseball. They jumped up all the way to seventh place to odds to win the World Series, which is, it's I don't know if it's overhyping them or not, but I mean, people are clearly buying in and money is pouring towards the Yankees. Everyone's on this train. There's there's a big reason why the the trend is going up, and when you look at what the Yankees did offensively, I mean, you just listed off all of those numbers. They're ridiculous. The fact that they are leading or you know close to the top in all of these power numbers is to me, extremely insane. And the reason I think it's trending up is because we have not had Gary Sanchez for practically the entire month. We had not had our starting shortstop for the entire month. This is These are two, two extremely important cogs to this team and two guys that, you know, last year we were talking about Didi as, you know, one of the, the Yankees MVPs. I mean, he was crucial and clutch at so many big moments and he had such a big season. And the fact that we're getting carried by a rookie in Aaron Judge and Starling Castro is playing out of his mind. Aaron Hicks is playing out of his mind, for God's sakes. He's looking to get some regular playing time if things don't uh, you know, improve with, with the Ellsbury injury and, and such. But even if he's not, he's getting, he's getting playing time and he's playing well when he's getting it. So there's, a, there's uh, just not very, many, there's not very many bad points of this team right now. It's crazy. I have a comparison I know you'll enjoy. Hicks on the season, uh, 63 plate appearances, five home runs, 300 batting average, uh, one, uh, 1059 <laughs> OPS. Jackie Bradley Jr. on the season, 56 plate appearances, one measly home run, 184 batting average, and a 554 OPS. Aaron Hicks is literally lapping him. Jackie Bradley Jr., we, we knew who you were. You were the, the first year Jackie Bradley Jr. when you were one of the worst baseball players in the major leagues, and then all of a sudden you came back on some miraculous – little uh little season and put up some good numbers and now you're going back to who you really are and interesting aaron hicks, is, aaron hicks is twice the ball player twice the it, man interesting that when david ortiz retires bradley jr falls off a cliff oh 
What are you saying there? Some, uh, some. Not, he's not the only thing that retired. I'm from not the saying. Clubhouse? I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying. Oh. Okay. Are the Yankees relying too heavily on the home run? Though uh, there was a stat I saw on the broadcast today that 53.4 percent of the Yankees' runs have been scored via the home run, and that's actually go that went up because what was it? Five runs tonight when we're recording Wednesday after the game. Um, Judge hit a home run, two run shot, and. Uh, Holiday hit a three-run shot, so five runs on home runs. So that's probably oh, around 55% at this point, 54%. That's a lot. That's a lot of your runs to come via the long ball. I mean, it is, but they're also scoring a lot of runs too. So the I'm not worried about it. It's not like a it's not it's not a concern. We talked about this you know a week ago or a week and a half ago when we were talking about you know comparing it to some of the older Yankee teams in you know the. Uh, five, six, seven years ago, where o- the only time they scored was when the home run ball was was happening in a game. But but now this team can manufacture runs. They're hitting for average. They're getting guys on base. They're, I mean, one of the big things you're talking about today and looking at, if you look at the stats and you look at individually on these guys, the on-base percentage is high throughout uh, throughout the lineup. These guys they are lead. taking they're taking walks. They're They're doing all the things they need to do to get on base. Team, they lead in team OBP. It's yeah. So that right there tells me that they're not reliant on the home run ball. It's just a well, beautiful, beautiful thing. It's happening. It's it's, it's how happening. they're. I I think that if they don't get better with runners in scoring position, it will be a problem at some point this season. They're they're below average with runners in scoring position. Fine, but if that on base percentage is still at the top of the league, if it's still one of the one of the higher on base percentages that collectively for the team, you're going to score runs. It's you know. Well, do you expect them? It's if, science. Do, do you? <laughs> that's science, Susan. Do you expect them though to continue to lead the league in all those categories? Because as optimistic as I think you and I both are for this team right now, I don't expect them to be at the top of the league in all those categories come September. I think that's unrealistic. I don't know why it's not realistic. Well, we had two of our two of our best hitters were on the bench for the entire month. Aaron Judge is setting records. That's that's great, but two of our best hitters and arguably not really arguably, I mean our our, our best hitter Gary Sanchez, who was all world MVP last year, who was going to hit on pace to hit 97 home runs, and everybody was you know he's going to break Barry Bonds' record this year if you're calling Barry Bonds' record the record. But the, it's the record. The, but the thing is, is like if Mark McGuire's was the record, Barry Bonds' is the record. My point is, yes, it can be sustainable because this team is better than people thought it was. It, it, it yes. just is. Obviously. No, but that's but it's sustainable. It's not like we're gonna. I don't see this team falling off a cliff. There's too many guys that are doing well right now. There's I agree. too many. I don't expect them to fall off a cliff. And if they did, I'm gonna be devastated because i am so bought into this team yeah and the big reason is because they're bought in and i think that's part of the success it's a fun. lot of the success they're is fun because to watch. they're ha- yeah, they're fun to watch and they're obviously having fun together they are gelling these guys are a cohesive unit right now i love it it's i think it's you know obviously it's more fun to watch but when it's more fun to play you, you know, you're, you're looser. You're, you're, you're going out and you're just you're not thinking you're just playing baseball. That's when, that's when teams are at their best and that's what's happening right now. We knew it was going to be fun to watch uh, because we thought that we'd, we'd be watching players develop and we'd be watching a, sort of a glimpse into the Yankees future, but little did we know they're, they're performing now. And a guy you didn't mention, the, the Yankees have uh, 
above average to great production at every position on the field. And then they have the worst possible production out of first base. <laughs> it's so funny. We cannot buy first base production. I mean, it's, it's killing us. It's not killing us, actually. It's actually not hurting us at all. But <laughs> it's really good timing, to tell you the truth. It's great timing for a bird to do terribly. And as much as I can't stand watching Chris Carter, he has been better as of late. I'll give him that. He got one hit tonight. So, yeah, that's better. It was a, you know, it was a pretty good hit. I mean, it was a terrible hit. It was a broken bat single that he was trying to hit a home run again. And he got lucky and it fell in for an RBI. But whatever, he tied the game. It, it's not hurting the Yankees because they have that, that mutant, not human freak Aaron Judge who can't stop hitting home runs. Was uh, tied Babe Ruth and Alex Rodriguez for 12 home runs through the Yankees' first 25 games as one of only three players to do it. And then he hit another one Wednesday. So the only player in history, Yankees history, to have 13 homers through the team's first 26 games. He's on pace for. Oh, come a, on. Tidy little. No, I even got an update on my phone about this. I tweeted wow. it out as sort of a joke, and I got an update from the MLB app on my phone. He's on pace for eighty-one dingers. That's eighty-one. That's because he's the most marketable man in Major League Baseball. I am telling you that he is going to be a superstar across the world. This guy is everything that Major League Baseball wants. He's a nice kid. He's massive. He hits bombs, and he says the right things. They are going to love him. This guy is like literally the poster boy for Major League Baseball, and he couldn't have come up. Giancarlo Stanton and uh, and uh, Aaron Judge home run derby, book it, no doubt. Yeah, just imagine if Giancarlo Stanton played in a in a town that actually cared about sports. Right, maybe that's Jeter what you can, have with Aaron Judge. Maybe Jeter can make them relevant again, huh? Right. The Yankees wasted no time in just marketing the hell out of Torres and Judge, though, huh? Oh yeah, it's been it's it was again perfect. I, mean, I love it. I mean, I I actually actually really enjoyed the the jersey swap. Um, yeah, but they are shoving it down our throats. That's okay. Everybody's buying it. I'm I'm buying it. <laughs> I'm I'm. I think it's hilarious. When you're winning ball games, you buy that kind of shit. When you're winning ball games, you can do anything, and everybody love it. Just put out content. Just go content, content, content. Yeah. Even if it misses, it's gonna hit because you're winning, and it's fun. Don't you think it sort of took the league a few weeks to notice what Aaron Judge is doing? But they certainly took notice. They're starting to pitch around him. He's getting the Barry Bonds treatment where he has uh, 15 walks on the season. Uh, I don't think he walked tonight on Wednesday. So 15 walks on the season, eight of which came in the last five games. So, so this is interesting. I, I, I think that you're absolutely right. And I have a good friend of mine who is an Orioles fan. And we were just talking smack through that that whole series. Because it was a disaster series for them, really. They they got lucky to salvage one game, but the the fact that uh, so what he was saying basically is like, yeah, it's impressive. Just wait for the league to make their adjustment. And I'm sitting there like, okay, it's been a month. The league is trying to make an adjustment, but he's just not swinging at it. He's he's laying off their adjustments. He's giving those. He's giving their. He's getting you know bad pitches, but he's not swinging at them like he used to. So. You go around the strike zone again around Aaron Judge, and like we've been talking about, he doesn't have to make the best contact. He's so damn big and strong that it's going to do damage no matter where he hits it on the bat. Look at Tuesday night. He kind of mishit two balls for home runs. Yeah. He hit yeah. one right down the right field line, which really went a long way in making those Jeter comparisons. Uh, right little <laughs> shot down the right field line. And then the impressive one was was it the seventh inning when or the eighth inning when he had the twelve pitch at bat? Yeah, that was a great at bat. 
And he, uh, again, he didn't get all of that ball, and it still went five rows deep into the left field stands. If you look at the replay, he hit it at the end of the bat. It was yeah. it was almost towards the very end of the bat. And, and you the know when he went. gets one, when he gets one, he freaking gets one. Like yeah. uh, Wednesday night, he hit one off the off the black in Monument Park. Yeah, it jumps off the bat. It's loud. It's so loud. I just don't. I just don't know. You know these adjustments that they're talking about that that the league is going to make to Aaron Judge. You're going to have to pitch to him, or you're not going to pitch to him. If you're going around the strike zone, he's going to he's going to destroy the baseball, and he's proving right now that he's become a he's becoming, if not become already, because it's like a miraculous miraculous comeback from what he did last year. I mean, we talk about the adjustment period from every level he's been on, and he makes that adjustment period after a little while, and then he's there. Holy shit! This guy made that that adjustment fast. But, yeah, you know the, uh, he's just being patient and he's disciplined. It's crazy. That's the key. The discipline. We said it at the beginning of the season. He needs to work on his discipline, and because we thought that if he just cuts down on his strikeouts, if he'll run into thirty home runs, it looks like he's going to run into a hell of a lot more than this season. And he's going to be a more impactful player. Otherwise, I mean, he's hitting three thirty at this point. Nobody saw that. His on-base percentage is over 400. He's been the best player in baseball by, and I'm not exaggerating, by sabermetrics and by just traditional metrics. He's been the best player in baseball through a month of the season. It's pretty impressive. And I think if, you know, he would have gotten the player of the month if Mike Trout didn't exist because Mike Trout's also having He got robbed. He got robbed. He did. He probably did just because I, I feel like they were like, okay, you know, it's Mike Trout and then a rookie. Mm, we're going to give it to Mike Trout just because <laughs> he's been in the league. And, you know, he is currently the face of baseball, maybe, but he's in a, a market that nobody cares about. But, yeah, so I, it was a little bit of an iffy thing. But, they, you know, they were able to give him the rookie of the month. So I think that was like their, their little, uh, you know, second prize. All right, guys, as we said, today's episode is brought to you by the Bronx Brewery's Bronx Banner Ale. It's the Golden Easy Ale and our go-to beer before and during all of our Yankee games. We drink it while we record sometimes. That's why we get a little loopy. It's also available in the stadium in six sections. If you're sitting in the bleachers, definitely look up some Bronx Banner Ale. They're pouring it at the Master Pass Batter's Eye Bar and then also behind the 204-203 where they're doing roll call, you can get Bronx Banner in the bleachers with no issue. It's delicious. It's perfect for the summer. It is a South Bronx-based brewery. They have a big tasting room, which is only a quick walk from the Cypress Ave 6 train. Definitely check it out if you're there before a game or after a game. And obviously, you know because we've been telling you, they are sponsoring the pregame party at the June 10th event. So you're going to be drinking some Bronx Banner ale the entire time. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and this beer is also for a good cause. Bronx Brewery is doing something really cool where 5% of every case sold of the Bronx Banner is donated to the New York Restoration Project, which is a local nonprofit focused on making the South Bronx greener and more sustainable. So with each sip that you take, you can know that it's for a good cause, and uh, that might sound corny, but it's actually really cool. Yeah, and if you're not able to get to the stadium, which I know a lot of people are, and if you're listening to this show, they... Also sell in Jersey, in New York, and in Connecticut, the tri-state area. You could get your Bronx Brewery beer, the Bronx Banner Ale. Go to thebronxbrewery.com slash find select Bronx Banner in the dropdown. Enter your zip code and you'll get a list of all the closest bars and stores that sell Bronx Banner. 
All right, we have some injury updates and news. So the the Greg Bird ankle saga is uh, has an update. He's on the 10-day DL. Apparently, he re-injured it in Pittsburgh. I saw Cashman did a radio interview and mentioned that, that he – apparently, he fouled the ball off his foot again. I don't remember that happening, but he had another Come MRI. On. Come on. <laughs> he had another MRI, and it showed a, bone, a, a sustained bone bruise, so – I know you, uh, you're you sniffing out a little controversy on this, and I, I might tend to agree with you. So what do you think about this? Yeah, I don't even think it's a controversy. It's just them telling you that he's got a bone bruise still. It's still there. It still lingers. I mean, Girardi was talking about how these bone bruises can last you know, a long time. They can last months and months and months, he was saying. So, you know, it's look, this is a mental health day. <laughs> this is a mental health 10-day DL stint. There is no doubt about it. Is it still sore? Maybe. Is it something he could play through? He should be able to. I mean, the guy's walking around playing with no issue. You know, is he landing on it differently? Is, is it still sore and tender? Is he thinking about it? Probably. So this is what this is. It's a mental health day. Get yourself together. I keep saying day. It's a 10-day DL stint. And to me, that's what it is. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with him. Let's say Bird was hitting 250 with three home runs. Would yeah. he be going on the DL? No, he would not be going on the DL. Right. So it's just because he's been so horribly, horribly, terribly awful that he's on the DL. Yeah, if he was now, just mediocre, I think he would he would fight through this. I think he could definitely fight through this. He had he did for a month after he had the the few games off at the beginning of the season. Um, like you said, I, I totally agree. It's a it's a clear your mind type of thing. And uh, they did say, though, that after the D- he's doing nothing for the 10 days and then he's going to go on a rehab stint. And that's even better. See, this is this is all confidence leading. up. Exactly. I mean, I think this is <laughs> that's even more that's even more evidence that this thing was just, you know, let, let's we're not going to send you down and embarrass you, but we're going to rehab you in AAA after a 10 day vacation. That's what's happening right now. They're saving saving face, which is fine. It's the right thing to do, in my opinion. We wanted them to do this with CC, you know, last year in the beginning of the year, the two years ago. We've wanted them to do it with a number of players, and they are doing it with him. He's a young guy, obviously having a hard time. Why not? I like it. I'm glad they're doing it. I don't care if he's injured or not. It's the right thing to do. So you're not worried that Greg Bird is Mark Teixeira 2.0, injury no. prone? No, I, I am not. Not I yet. Not. not yet. There's small sample size. We haven't gotten there yet. One guy that is injury prone is Jacoby Ellsbury, who crashed into the wall Monday and has a bruised nerve. You learn something every day, Scott. I didn't know you could bruise nerves. Is a pinched nerve the same thing as a bruised nerve? No, it's not. And I no. thought it was a pinched nerve, but apparently no. it's not. Is I a pinched pin- nerve pinch a bruised nerve? nerve? Pinched nerve is more serious. Oh, okay. oh, really? Yeah. I wonder if a bruised nerve, a bruised, I can't even say it. If a bruised nerve is not a pinched nerve, but a pinched nerve is a bruised nerve. Probably. Chicken or the egg. There you go. Least surprising news ever that after Ellsbury crashes into the wall that he he sits out for a few days. Yeah, and that's fine because Aaron Hicks is able to play and he's thriving. So, you know, I mean, not to say that Ellsbury hasn't been good because he has been good, but they've they've also been good. Pump the brakes a little bit on how good Ellsbury's been playing. I mean, if you compare it, we're we're comparing it to Ellsbury. (laughs) If you compare it to himself, then he's been very good. Okay. Yes, he's outperformed our expectations for him, but yeah. He's been okay, and I don't think. And I think when he comes back, because Didi is back and playing pretty well, Ellsbury's not going to be find himself back in the middle of the lineup. No, I, I think, I think. Well, and Gardner's also playing well. 
he's playing a lot better as of as of late as well. I guess he's he's finally shaken off that uh that had that collision that he had with, at yeah. first base because it seems like that one was rattling him he for might a while. Have been concussed or something, dude. They showed that again today. Uh, I was watching the ESPN broadcast on Wednesday and they showed that. That was brutal. Yeah, I mean, go look at the if you go on my Twitter and you look at the uh the still image, the still shot. Someone got a like a great shot of them like as they collided and there's faces don't do that normally. There's bad things that are going on with with the with their contortion of their faces. I mean, these guys hit yeah. really hard. High speeds, high speeds. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we'll see what Ellsbury has when he gets back, but yeah, he's he's going to be uh he's going to be tinkered all over the place because that's what Joe's been doing. So, and it's been working. The Yankees also have a little bit of a situation going on with catcher. Romine left Tuesday's game with a groin thing, groin strain, pull. I don't know what it is. He's not going on the DL, but this kind of accelerated the timetable for Sanchez, who was making a rehab stint in El Kraken fashion, hit a home run in his first pitch that he saw. He's going to be back for the Cubs series. So Sanchez will be back in Wrigley Friday night. That's the reports. Romine... I'm assuming he's not going to the DL, so I'm assuming Higashikoa is going to be sent down. And first of all, I feel bad for Higgy. Me too. Dude can't catch a break at the plate. You know, I was talking about this tonight, and uh, it was when he was 0 for 15. I think he's now 0 for 18 or 0 for 17. But, you know, I just hope that this kid gets an opportunity at some point because, you know, I, you know, I know with catchers, there's probably going to be an opportunity at some point during this year where he'll be back up. You know, chances are someone will be beaten up a little bit. I just hope he gets a hit, man. I just hope like it's you know it's not his only cup of coffee, and he's had this many times and still can't get a hit. That'd be a shame. He's I don't I can't imagine he'll be, he'll sleep at all until he gets back up called up to the major leagues because he's it's not like he came up for one game went zero for four. It's like whatever you you don't get a hit in your first game that happens to the majority of players I'm assuming, but he he has had ample playing time and he has not even really sniffed a hit. Yeah, he's definitely been exposed, I think, at the plate. He almost had one with that error. They had and the people ball, are like, oh, the he's ball a y- ready to get tossed in and everything. But People are like he's a young kid. He's 27. Yeah, he's not that young. He's been around right. forever. He's, he kind of is on the Romine trajectory where taking forever to, to progress, which is fine. And look at Romine now. I mean, talking about the best backup catcher in the league, we've gotten mailbag questions about that. So, The, the thing about Higgy is that his bat was, I think, one of the biggest things that propelled him, you know, forward over the last year. I mean, the guy added a lot of pop on that bat in the minor leagues and so far just hasn't been able to catch a break. But, you know, I'm sure he'll get it and he'll be fine. The Yankees took two out of three from Toronto, but their offense carried them. Their starting pitching really did not look good in the whole series. Severino, it was clear he didn't have it on Monday night. I thought Tanaka looked bad on Tuesday the stats show that he was okay but he got hit hard and you give up two home runs to Steve Pierce I mean that's inexcusable for our quote-unquote ace and then CC today it's his third bad start in a row uh horrible I, I said I said Sabathia looks like he just has one pitch and it's just an 87 mile an hour slop ball where it's got a slight slurvy break to it and that's all he's throwing right now yeah they were he he's been getting beat up early in the game too, which is bad. It's a bad sign that he's getting he's getting hit early. He got hit early today. He got hit early in Pittsburgh. He's just he's not getting anybody. He's not fooling anybody anymore. And um, Tanaka, see, I I kind of disagree with you on, on Tanaka and the fact that I don't think he looked bad. I think that 
when he hit the the fifth inning and they were I had a lead, he started going into Tanaka cruise control, throwing a, sh- a bunch of strikes and and trying to get through the through the game because that's what he does. He does that all the time at that point in the game when there's a big lead. And I think a lot of those were just you know grooved fastballs so, so that he could put it in play and they hit it over the fence. I, I didn't I didn't think he pitched badly. I think it started getting a little bit worse. Um, you know, towards the, the in the last uh, I don't know a few batters last in, last half inning for him, but uh, I'm not really chalking that up. I think he was fine. I figured out a formula for Tanaka. You ready? If he has five days off, he pitches six innings. If he has six days off, he pitches seven innings. And if he has a full week off, like we saw before that Boston start, he can be an ace. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're, you can't just look at the numbers from over the past couple of years. The guy will be there at the end of the year. He'll have one of the best. He'll have one of the best lines in the American League, if not baseball. So, I mean, that's just what's going to happen. As long as he pitches on six days rest or more. Whatever Severino, it is, whatever it is. <laughs> Severino on Monday, it, it, like I said, it was clear he didn't have it. His slider wasn't working early in the game, but he, he was battling through most of the game, and, and the Yankees' offense didn't do anything. Um, and he, 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 again, gave up a home run late that, that ruined his line. But it was, it, it was at least impressing me that through the second, third, fourth, and even into the fifth inning, he was at least gutting it out. See, I didn't think, I mean, he wasn't locating. I think one of the big, when Severino doesn't locate, uh, he's a mess. And then he he starts going back to that fastball too much. And you start seeing guys, you know, sitting on it and and just plucking it out. And I think that's what happened. Uh, See, see, we're going completely opposite here. This is what's, you're, you're, you're giving a pass to Severino who's battling through the first five, yet Tanaka was brilliant through the first five and then started throwing fastballs to get the game over with and you're killing him. You know, which one is it? Because... Severino, in my opinion, you know, lost the game for the Yankees because, I mean, granted they didn't score runs, but he was still getting beat up. And and Toronto's lineup is not very good right now. No, it's not. I mean, you uh, no, I don't think tonight. I don't think Severino was good. He gave up home runs to Ryan Goins and Chris Coglin. I mean, these are not Josh Donaldson and Jose Bautista that we're talking about here. So no, Severino was not good, but. Uh, I at least could see that he had nothing and and uh, David Cohn talks about uh, has talked about before in the past that his some of his favorite times on the mound when he knew he had nothing in the tank and he just had to gut it out and I and and in through the fifth inning that's what I thought Severino was doing he was out there too long and the offense did nothing it was a mess of a game I'm not giving him a pass he was bad but he at least I saw a little a bit of a uh, competitor of out of Severino on Monday. Doesn't it bother you that a guy like Ryan Goins is hitting home runs? Of course, off it of does. him. I mean, that's that's something that when you look at Ryan Goins' stats, I mean, this guy does not hit home runs like ever, <laughs> and is going up there. And he he also drove in the runs. He took a he's the one who took Ellsbury to the wall too. So Ryan Goins is teeing off on on Severino. To me, that's concerning when when there are sub par batters lighting you up at that point when you have your when you're when you're not on your on your a game and and that's a lineup to me like to David Cohn's point that he should have gotten through even on the you know on you know when your stuff isn't that great because he's got such dynamic you know he throws 100 miles an hour he's got a lot of movement like that guy should be able to do it reached 100 in the sixth inning I'm calling bullshit on that there's something going on with the radar guns this year, but it's high nineties. You know what I mean? Like I can understand CC Sabathia getting knocked around a little bit. I, I can totally understand yeah, that because slop. 
he's throwing nothing. Uh, but a guy like Severino, like you said, we need him on those days where he doesn't have his great stuff to be able to go out there and put in a quality start. He's going to get his chance uh, to redeem himself Sunday night against the Cubs. It's a huge, huge stage. Yeah, under the lights, Sunday night baseball, Wrigley Field, Yankees-Cubs. Doesn't get much bigger than that. The Yankees came back on Wednesday after Sabathia put him in the hole, and this was their fifth comeback on the season when trailing by three or more runs. This That's... team has this team has something. I'm not 100% sure what they have at this point, but I know they have something. Yeah, they're, they don't quit. I mean, this is a team that you cannot count out, and those are fun teams because – then you're watching throughout the entire game and there's a belief in that dugout that no matter what the no matter what the deficit they could come back and that's that's something that's very powerful you know if you could take that throughout the summer and you have the confidence in your guys so good stuff they've got a day off on Thursday going to Wrigley Field don't forget Friday afternoon baseball that's thrown a little bit of a wrench into things because they're playing Saturday and Sunday night but it's Friday afternoon baseball, so just classic Wrigley. It'll be fun to see the guys, uh, you know, having the Yankees play at Wrigley Field. I'm really upset that I didn't think about this ahead of time and uh, and make the, make a trip out there because this would have been a good one. I'm a Tickets little jealous. To, Tickets are tough to come by. Yeah, well, our our, our guy uh, Keith McPherson, who is uh, who does a lot of video stuff at Bronx Pinstripes, was in Pittsburgh. Well, last weekend or whenever that whenever that series was, or two weeks ago, and now he's he's going to be actually at Wrigley at two games. So definitely uh, check out the Instagram stories. He's going to be doing some cool stuff at Wrigley too. And coming up, we do we did talk to Tony Andraki. He is a Cubs writer for CSN Chicago. We did about 20, 25 minutes with him about the Cubs season so far, as well as if there's a World Series hangover. It was actually really fun to talk to him. So stay tuned for that, and uh, we'll talk to you guys in a few days. Now joining us on the show is Tony Andraki. You can find him on Twitter at TonyAndraki23. He is a Cubs writer for CSN Chicago. Tony, thanks for joining us. Yeah, no problem. Good to be here. So was the World Series win after 108 years everything you wanted it to be and more? <laughs> That's such a tough question because in so many ways it exceeded my expectations and imagination. And in some ways, it almost didn't live up to it at the same time. So, you know, you figure 108 years, I'm only 30. And, you know, I've for all my third years, I thought about what it would be like when the Cubs won the World Series. And when it happened, it was such a gigantic moment that I'm honestly still processing it. You know, here like <laughs> six months later, I'm still working through everything that happened. And it's just like I feel like it might take me another 30 years to like fully grasp the magnitude of what occurred last fall and this 108-year drought ending. It's pretty funny because I'm sure you've built up some expectations of what would happen or how it would feel or how, what the city would do when they finally won it. So actually living through it, it probably, you know, it can't really align exactly what you had in your head, but 
it's uh, it's definitely interesting because you've had a long time to think about it. Now, do you find any resentment because you guys have always been the you know the quote I'm sure you hate this with a passion the lovable losers but <laughs> now you guys are you know um, um, like a monster in Major League Baseball and looking forward I mean there's no end in sight you guys have a lot of really young players do you find any resentment because now you're the popular team and and the mo- the best one in, in baseball No I don't think so I mean I think it's it's always uh, it's just great brought about a healthy competition. I mean, last year, the Cubs, even before they won it all, you know, spring training and everything else, that whole embrace the target mindset that Joe Madden talked about was his motto for the team last year. Uh, they did that, and t- they got their team, every team's best every night. And you see that right now. I mean, the the Reds and the Brewers are towards first place or have been in a share of first place almost all year. And these are two teams that we all thought were going to be rebuilding and yet they've come out and, and given the Cubs fit. And I think that's a, a huge part of that is just the fact that everybody gets up to play the Cubs. So uh, I, I don't think it's resentment at all. I think it's, you know, it's good. And it'll probably, uh, it might already have happened and kept, uh, kept guys from getting complacent, kept any of the Cubs from, okay, well, we ended a 108-year drought, you know, like we can just coast and we'll make the playoffs. We have so much talent. I, I don't think they would do that anyway. They're you know, they're great guys and, and so checked in mentally and the coaching staff would never let them. But even if that ever did happen for even one day, the way that the fact that they see every team's best every night, it, it just has to increase that level of competition and decrease that level of complacency with everything. What was that other motto that Madden had? Was it like, don't suck or try not to suck or something like that? Yeah, it was try not to suck. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> it's always a good motto. Yeah. yeah, it was great. It was actually, uh, I don't know how much you guys know about the backstory, but it came about when Javi Baez, you know, he had been up and down and struck out so much the few times that he was in the big leagues. And when he came up at towards the end of the 2015 season and he went into Joe Madden's office and Joe sat him down and, you know, was like, okay, we're going to play you. And basically just go out there and try not to suck. And <laughs> Javi laughed and, uh, you know, and then the rest is kind of history from there. We, we saw the way Javi really, you know, took took everything on last fall, um, but it can all kind of go back to the fall of 2015 when Joe Madden just told him try not to suck and elicited this laugh. And you know, ever since then they've tried not to suck, and I guess it's worked out. I guess that's the beauty of Joe Madden, though, right? Because I, I Yankee fans are listening, and they're they're probably thinking to themselves, I can't imagine Joe Girardi saying that. <laughs> Never, not in a million years. No, yeah, definitely, it, it's. It's much different, but um, I mean, obviously, Girardi is such a successful manager himself. So it's just it's kind of cool. I like it from just being such a huge baseball fan is I love seeing Madden do that kind of stuff. But I have the utmost respect for a guy like Girardi who doesn't do that kind of stuff. You know, he doesn't have these try not to suck phrases. And, you know, Joe Madden and the Cubs lead the world in T-shirts made. And, you know, (laughs) but like like I totally get like that. But then the other aspect, it's just cool that there's two different avenues to success. And, you know, Madden's is one and it's fun, but there are all these other ones too. And it's just, it's cool to see all of it. You know, the Yankees and the Cubs have absolutely been tied over the past few years quite a bit with different trades. The Starling Castro for Adam Warren and, and company. I think Brendan Ryan was in that trade also. And then obviously yes. the, the big flashy one last year at the trade deadline was Araldis Chapman for. Uh, Torres, who's the the big Glaber Torres, was the big stud in that one, and then Warren came back home to to pitch, and <laughs> and you know he forgot he remembered how to pitch again in New York, which was a good thing because he apparently forgot <laughs> when he was in Chicago, and then uh, and then Billy McKinney, who I think was the uh, 
kind of a, a sleeper guy in that in that pick or in that trade. So what is the what's the general feeling with you know in the on the Cubs side towards the Yankees with these trades? Because it seems like I mean if you're looking at the trades, granted you guys won, we know that, and that's that's what you were going for. But the Yankees definitely got the the upper hand on the actual trades themselves. So what's the feeling around that? You know, I think it's good. I think uh, everybody kind of realizes what Chapman was. He was this mercenary, this hired gun who, you know, was here to help close out the ninth inning. And, you know, sometimes we saw eventually later in October and November the actually the seventh or eighth innings as well. So it's just it worked out. You know, everything did, regardless of how much Madden used Chapman, which has been a topic of conversation in Chicago for six straight months. Still? Uh, Still talking about it? He's not even there anymore. You know what? Not as much now. But uh, up until like April 1st, I would say it was definitely a topic of discussion. (laughs) Um, But yeah, you know, I don't think think there's any ill will. Everybody was happy that the Cubs went for it and did what they did. And I think it's kind of cool that, you know, after years of not wanting to do business together when Theo and his company is – front office were in Boston. They didn't want to do business with Cashman, the Yankees, you know, now, like you said, there's been a couple of trades between Theo's front office and Cashman's front office. So it's kind of cool that that's out there. And, uh, you know, I think, um, I can't say for sure all, you know, Cubs fans or anything feel this way, but I know the media is certainly really happy to see Starlin back this weekend. And I imagine guys like Anthony Rizzo will be as well. Uh, I, you know, could see uh, Starlin's walk-up song come back <laughs> on at Wrigley, which will be really cool. I got yeah, the zero the zero hitters thing. Yeah, the walk up yeah. so, the walk up song. I got to tell you, we were we first of all Andrew and I when we when we realized that we had Castro, the one thing we were really just really hoping he was going to bring into the Bronx was that song for the walk up because you know the New York has a, a a very big Hispanic population and it would go crazy at the stadium as well and he didn't bring it over so that was a disappointment but I do hope you guys uh, he brings it back on uh, this weekend. Yeah, I can imagine. I'm sure it's going to be packed at Wrigley here. So I imagine there's going to be 42,000 people clapping along to it when he does. So I really hope uh, that he brings it back. But what last year was a kind of a cool moment, given that Rizzo and Sterling came up together uh, or, you know, were young guys, uh, cornerstone players on the team in Chicago for so long. The first very first time Rizzo came to bat at Wrigley Field, he used Starlin's song that Endo La Versace or whatever from Omega. Yeah. Like that he Anthony used that song as he walked up. And uh, it was a really cool tribute to to Starlin. And so people were clapping along and uh, you know, a bunch of people like media took videos and Cubs account tweeted it out and stuff. So it was really cool. And I'm actually I'm that's what I think of when I'm thinking of Starlin making that return this year. Yeah, Castro actually said this this spring he was asked about it. And he said he was extremely jealous watching the Cubs. And <laughs> I I don't blame him. I mean, he was there his whole career. He went through all the terrible years with the Cubs. And then to watch him win the year after he leaves, I mean, I can't imagine how he must have felt. But the Yankees are doing – he's been doing really well this season. He's off oh, to yeah. his, his best start uh, in his career. And he, he was off to a really good start last year too. Nothing like it is now. But let's talk about the Cubs this year and, and the upcoming series. So – they were the prohibitive favorites going into the season as the best team, and they, they still are. You go like by the Vegas odds. But what is going to stand in their way if, if they falter this year? Uh, it could just be baseball, like the game itself. <laughs> we, we know from being around it, it's just it's just so hard to repeat. All these guys pitched in, in November. Hendricks was not used to that. Jake Arrieta was not used to that. John Lackey and John Lester were used to that, but they're significantly older than the last time they did it. 
um, you know, when they were in Boston. So it just, that's just different in its own right. And we've seen that this year, the Cubs woke up, uh, what was it? Tuesday morning, I think with, uh, the 26th worst ERA starters ERA in baseball. Um, and you know, they're somewhere around that after John Lester's start on uh, Tuesday night, they're still like around the same area and you know, everybody's struggling to an extent pitching wise, um, and the offense really, it's taken a little while to get going. So overall they haven't put everything together. So to answer your question, what might stand in the way really kind of themselves or just fate regression of the mean, all that kind of stuff that the game evens out over the course of time. And, um, you know, it's not that obviously I'm not saying like the Cubs got lucky or anything last year. It's just, it would take an incredible amount of luck to do it again, even with all the talent that they have. I gotta. It's it's extremely ironic and I think funny that you're talking about fate after 108 years of, of <laughs> waiting to win the World Series, and now you're saying it might even itself out. I mean, don't you think you're owed at least another one in a row? I mean, this is this is a perfect opportunity for for a Cubs team to make a serious run at multiple championships. I mean, I understand that they haven't all put it together yet, but it seems like your offense, even if they everybody hasn't been hitting. I know Schwarber's been been sl- uh, off, you know, slow, but. With the with the pitching staff doing what they're doing, and you know towards the bottom, they're still winning. They're still in first place. You know, it's still it's still a good thing that's happening in Wrigley. So, yeah, and that's what they all kind of said. Uh, I was out there on Monday night. And that was a, a lot of media were posing that question, like, "Can you believe that you went all the way through April? You're still in first place. You're a couple games over 500, and yet everybody's like, well, how's this hangover? You know, and everybody's asking about the hangover.'" And fans are getting upset that the rotation is not as good, that Kyle Hendricks ERA has jumped two and a half runs than where he finished last year. And, you know, all these things, Kyle Schwarber's hitting below 200 and Javi Baez is striking out and swinging at everything. Like people were freaking out about that. And then everybody's wondering, like, when's the next prospect coming up? Like Ian Happ and, you know, who can the Cubs trade for and stuff like that? It, it really is so funny to me that like you said, you know, you got one, right? Mm-hmm. Cubs fans got one as a fan base here, but they really, I would say to a man in the fan base, they're not, they're not happy with one. They're not content with one. So they're always wondering about, you know, when the next one's coming. And yeah, I think I, I would be stunned if the Cubs aren't able to win another one at some point. But, you know, I think like we saw with the giants, that even your magic, the reason was every other year, even with all the same Madison Bumgarner and Buster Posey and all that was because health came came back to play and you know regression of the mean and it's just so tough to do it from one year to the next and so yeah i mean if it doesn't happen this year then uh you know count me among those saying that 2018 is the year the cubs win it all again but um even yeah years. it's just yes maybe they're going to become the new uh new even year magic guys with uh instead of the giants now you mentioned starting pitching and Arietta after he was the best starting pitcher on the planet in 2015, had a really good 2016, but he's struggling now. What's going on with him? I think it's just going to take a little time to get used to it. I think um, he has a little bit of dip in velocity overall, but I don't think that's troublesome so much as the fact that it was more by design. And, and we talked about that in mid-April when he was throwing, you know, hovering down like the 91 range with his fastball after living at like 95, you know, for most of last year and that run in 2015. Uh, but he still has incredible movement and incredible spin rate on his balls. And he was, he's one of the toughest guys to hit in baseball. Even last year with a little bit of regression, he was still the toughest guy to hit among all pitchers, all qualified pitchers. So uh, I think this year, you know, his control has been better 
overall. And that's part of the reason why is he's kind of sacrificing a bit of velocity for control. I just think he's been a little bit unlucky so far. You know, it, that game in Boston, he gave up a couple of hard hits and then he gave up, you know, a Hanley Ramirez grounder that uh, Anthony Rizzo's just off the bag at first. And Ramirez's grounder just sneaks past him and rolls for a while. And Red Sox get a run and Ramirez gets an extra base hit off a grounder that, you know, I didn't see the stat cast or anything, but it can't have been more than like 70 mile an hour grounder. So, you know, it just sometimes that just happens. He's just kind of off to a slow start, but everything else is there. The K's are there. The uh, the spin rate still looks good. His stuff still looks good. His control looks even better. So I imagine we're going to see a pretty hot start from Arietta, uh, or a pretty hot stretch from Arietta coming pretty soon. So this isn't the Baltimore Orioles Arietta coming back? <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely not. I think <laughs> last year there was a legitimate, legitimate concern because of the control issues. And when his command was off, that – that was giving people flashbacks to the Orioles, Jake, like you said, but you know, he was still, like I said, you know, he's able, he only gave up like six and a half hits per nine innings or whatever last year. And um, so it's just, it really, if he keeps the walks under control as he did in 2015 and um, the little bit that it looks like here in small sample size in 2017, I think he'll end up being just fine and, and definitely not going back to that Baltimore, uh, Jake Arietta. Going on the other side to the offense, you're talking about the leadoff spot, and Madden has done you know a few different things. He's had Schwarber go into the leadoff spot, which is probably the most unconventional. You look around the league, I mean, obviously Madden, I think, is the trendsetter when it comes to the unconventional moves. But do you guys miss Dexter Fowler, who's now in in St. Louis with the you know the the rivalry, obviously, but he was a he was a fixture at the top of the lineup for a long time, and he kind of was almost a catalyst for you guys. Do you think you are missing him? And defensively, I know Hayward and John Jay, and you guys have been platooning that center field spot. Yeah, uh, defensively, I, I would, the quick answer is no. Um, and that's not a knock on Dexter Fowler. He has always kind of had uh, average or below average defensive ratings. And last year he improved on that because he had always played shallow and the Cubs basically forced his hand and made him play deeper. And he did, and you know, all the metrics uh, improved in his favor. This year, Albert Almora, you guys will get your, your first like up-close look at him this weekend, I'm sure, in at least a couple games. But that kid can play some center field. I mean, he is, he's awesome out there, and he's, you know, he's really progressed with the bat as well. So he's been getting a lot of playing time. And like you mentioned, Jay and, and Hayward are out there as well. So um, I think defensively the Cubs are in a better spot than they were with Fowler uh, just from Almora alone. Offensively, yeah, you're right. It's really difficult. If Fowler was here, I imagine it'd be Fowler 1, Schwarber 2, Brian 3, Rizzo 4, you know, something like that. And and then you're talking about a guy who gets on base, you know, 36 to 40 percent of the time and Fowler hitting above three of the better power hitters in the game. So, uh, yeah, definitely from that standpoint. And um, I, I'm not sure, too, Schwarber denies that hitting in the leadoff spot has changed his approach. And I don't think it's changed his approach or anything else, I don't think that he's pressing, but there's at least that possibility. He's in new foreign territory and uh, was struggling a little bit as a result of that before he had a big three on homer on Tuesday night. But yeah, I think, uh, I, I just think it's, Fowler would be such a great addition back to this lineup, but it was time to move on and it was good for him to to get that big, to, to cash in on that big contract, really the only time that he's going to have an opportun- opportunity to do so in his life. Girardi's even been doing some unconventional things with the Yankee lineup uh, because Ellsbury, who you'd think is a leadoff hitter, 
has been yeah. batting cleanup uh, at some points this season. And he's actually been producing more than anyone who's a Yankees fan thought. So, and like batting leadoff, yes, when you lead off the game, that is a different mindset. But after that, I, I don't see how it's any different. You're just batting in when your turn comes up. So, yeah, Schwarber's the type of guy who I think, I mean, he can handle it. He went to the World Series with only playing a couple Arizona Fall League games. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he can handle batting leadoff. Yeah, exactly. And he, uh, maybe that's the key, though. When he, he only saw and was allowed to take so many swings last fall getting ready for the World Series and ended up watching over 2,000 you know pitches out of the batting cage, sliders, fastballs on the corner, curveballs, all of that. So who knows? Maybe that's the key. Instead of spring training, everybody's kind of joked, you should just do the Schwarber treatment and <laughs> just stare at a couple of balls and kind of cram it all in a couple of days and then go play some regular season baseball. I feel like that's the old school of yeah. how guys used to get ready in the <laughs> 70s. Just like I'm sure, yeah. Yeah, slam a bunch of beers, play a few spring training <laughs> games, and then go out there. Like, <laughs> oh, man, if players can drink, I, I bet Schwarber would be one of the first yeah. ones that would be drinking a beer in the outfield. Yeah, he strikes me as someone who would have played well in, like, 1975. Oh, yeah, they uh, actually happened um, on the south side here when Cubs Sox played. Uh, Finn threw, like, a beer on the field towards Schwarber in 2015, and we were talking to him about it after and he's like, yeah, I should have just picked it up and chugged it and smashed it against my head and threw it into the, back into the stands. And we were all laughing. But like afterwards, I was like, dude, you really should have just done that. <laughs> he definitely feels like a, a Gronkowski type in, in baseball. There aren't very many of these guys in baseball anymore, but he's, he feels like that real authentic, just a, just a man's man, just a dude out there playing ball, and, and it just comes easy to him. The, uh, what, do you guys, did you guys think that there was any truth to any of the rumors? Because he was always floated – in the trade talks constantly it was constantly Schwarber was the guy that the Yankees were looking at in some of these trades. And I'm sure other teams were, were, you know, labeling him because he was hurt. You know, maybe the thought process I think was that, you know, maybe the Cubs will, because they want to win this year, he's not helping this year. They'll get rid of him. Do you think it was ever close to trading Schwarber? Uh, I honestly do not think so. I just, everything that I've gathered from being around and, Everything else, I just think that they actually told everybody that Schwarber was off limits. And I, why not ask for Schwarber if you're the Yankees or the Red Sox when they were traded or, you know, whatever. Uh, in terms of, like, trying to acquire a guy and trading off pieces, uh, yeah, I just – it's it's crazy to me to think that a guy that was injured like Schwarber and a guy that had only played, you know, 60-something games was off limits – in one sense, but at the same time, given that it's Schwarber and how they feel about him, I do think that he was off limits. They they have this like unnatural attachment to him, and I mean that in a good way, not in a bad way at all. They just they love the guy, like you said. It, he just seems like that down earth earth guy because he really is. They they all love him. They all look at him as like a little brother. Uh, he was in their draft room last summer when he wasn't able to when he wasn't rehabbing and he wasn't able to play and anything else. He was in there in the draft room with them looking at players, evaluating players leading up to the draft. Uh, and there's this great story about Jason McLeod, the director of scouting and development here at the Cubs. He had like called Schwerber in the room and they had all their like scouting directors and everybody in there. And uh, they're like, okay, you know, wh- why don't you get this, uh, take a look at this catcher, a guy coming out of the big 10. Uh, they say that he can only hit like midweek pitching and not, not weekends, best pitching. And he just feasts off of like bad pitchers and he, they don't think he can really catch and his body's a problem and everything else. And then they queue up video of Schwarber from Indiana in college. And so they did that and they pranked him and he just like walks out of the room and he was like swearing and, you know, all like jokingly upset. But, uh, it was just, just cool story about how like they let a player 
help evaluate talent for other players. It's just, I don't, I've never heard anything else like that. And it, that was something to me that was going on in June, you know, and you're talking about like a month later, the, the rumors that Schwerber was on the block. Like, I don't see that. That doesn't make sense to me that they would have a guy that invested in their long-term success and then eventually deal him like the next month. So I don't think there's any truth at all that he was ever really on the block. I was hoping it was true because yeah. the idea of Schwarber and Yankee Stadium got me really. Oh excited. yeah, it was all too, <laughs> I mean, it was all would, too perfect. Yeah, 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 so, that would be great. But yeah, that's that's uh, would have been an extremely short-sighted move for for Theo. Who didn't Theo say that Schwarber was his favorite draft pick ever? Did I hear that yeah, story? He's, I I've never heard him say that specifically, um, but he's alluded to that a lot of different times, and uh, I. I mean, Jason McCloud has said similar type stuff, but yeah, they just, they love the guy. They think he's like the superhuman force uh, for them in the clubhouse, on the field, in the lineup, you know, all over the place. So yeah, they, they honestly, they love the guy. They, even with as great as Chris Bryant is, you know, you're talking about a rookie of the year and MVP. Um, it honestly is possible that Schwarber may be their favorite draft pick ever, even over like Bryant. <laughs> yeah. No, and Schwarber's the type of guy that that I can root for, even though I have no rooting interest in the Cubs. He's just a fun player to watch and fun player to follow. So he's the guy you want to go drink beer with. That's that's exactly. Why. I, I would yeah. definitely want to go drink a beer with him. Yeah, definitely. We're playing a beer league softball game with him. Yeah, even better. <laughs> well, Tony, thanks a lot for joining us. And uh, this weekend should be a lot of fun in Wrigley. Are you going to be at any of the games? You know, I'm not. I'm really bummed. Uh, I have a wedding down in Marco Island this weekend, so I'm leaving Friday morning and unfortunately missing this whole Cubs-Yankees series here. Well, uh, thanks a lot for joining us. No problem. Thank you, guys. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show... We'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees.